today. You're going to be thrilled right to the bone because I'm teaching on the most favorite topic that every Christian has ever wanted to hear every Sunday if they could get the opportunity. And that's money. I am setting the stage and have been for about five or six weeks to lay a foundation to move into 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 because that's directly related to money because 8 and 9 is giving. And that is the second favorite topic Christians want to hear. So you are truly blessed to be here today to hear money and God's view of money. And I am trying to dispel the fact that pastors take a vow of poverty Hint, hint. So if you would please join with me in prayer. I'll read a few verses out of eight. And you need to know where Proverbs is. It's If you go back to about the middle of your book, you should end up right in the middle of Psalms and then just go over to the right of hair and you should be in the book of Proverbs. You will need to know Proverbs today. Let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise we come. And Father, as, as, as I have been strengthened by this text, I pray that my brothers and sisters this day are strengthened. Father, that we understand that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And Father, and I think about us being on this planet and the amazing resources that you have bestowed upon us. Father, the, the fragrance of a steak, the joy of the wind in your face, the beauty of your oceans, and the recovering of minerals for resources. And Father, your ability to give man the capability to harvest. Father, I pray, we who are called by your name, would rest in the assurance of your provision. And Father, hear well what is being said through your word this day, to your glory and praise. Amen. Your outline there is kind of where I'm started with, and it's a biblical view of money, wealth. Um, And we've we've looked at in depth the morality of money. Money in and of itself has no morals. But the way you use your money is a direct reflection of your spiritual character. All right. The love of money is the one that people get into because a lot of people like to say money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I look at him and says, have you not read? Because that's not what the text says. The text says the love of money is the root of all evil. And then the last two weeks we've been dealing with three weeks we've been dealing with acquiring money. And I spent some time on how not to. Okay. And today I want to get into acquiring it. Um, there are too many in the body of Christ who have a six-figure lifestyle and six-figure incomes. And I had a friend that I know who's an economist, and he said if you took every Christian in the United States and immediately dropped their income to the poverty level, okay, $26,000. Every Christian went to the poverty level and had them give 10% to the church. 
there would be a 300% increase in the giving to the body of Christ. Don't really say much about us, does it? If you think about the morality of money. And it is a reflection of our moral character. Jesus taught more on the topic of money than any single topic. Zacchaeus was up in the tree and he heard Jesus' teaching and Jesus invited himself over to his house. And during listening to Jesus, Zacchaeus says, I will sell half of what I've got and give to the poor and I will give four times back to anybody that I've cheated. And you know what Jesus' response was? That's a good idea, Zacchaeus. Gosh, you're a really nice man, Zacchaeus. No, he says, salvation has come to this house. The rich young ruler came to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, what must I do to be saved? He says, keep all the commandments. He says, I've done that since a child. He says, then sell all you own, give to the poor. And it says that the rich young ruler was very wealthy and he left sad. So money reflects our spiritual condition, but money also shows what our priorities are. I have had some dealings in the past, not lately, uh, where marriages were struggling. And one of the first things I asked the couple to do is show me your checkbook register. Of course, they all go, what? That's why my counseling business is so massive. Because I can look at your checkbook register or your credit card statements, however you do it, and I can tell you what your priority is. And it's very evident. All right? And if you got your priorities wrong, I call that a heart attitude. If that heart attitude's wrong, it'll be reflected in the way you deal with money. Okay? You can have the money, and there's nothing wrong with it. God says, I want to bless you abundantly. God says, I want to make you wealthy. Look where I placed you. Look at the wealth that this planet has. Okay? But I have to be careful not to offend others. That's Romans 14 and 15. And whatever wealth you have, regardless, you must always be thankful because you need to understand that your wealth, regardless of what you got, is brief and it's temporary. Okay. A little footnote I do want to kind of, I, I talked on. I have run into a whole bunch of people here recently who believes that Christian true righteousness, true uh, piety is living with mere necessities, poverty. And they look at me with a great look and they say, well, you just don't understand, and I've been accused of that for 50-some years. Jesus was poor. Jesus was homeless. And we are to follow Jesus. Well, that's not really true. I mean, if you want to use that for your conscience, go ahead. Jesus always stayed with his friends. You want me to follow Jesus? Where would you like me to sleep tonight? 
No problem. I can be portable. Jesus says you will have the poor with you always. At the time of Christ, as this is the time today that will mess with you, you know what the average IQ is? It's under 100. I believe that is the effect of sin and evolution. It is the same as the time of Christ. It is the same today. But if you look at the time of Christ and you look at today, you have people what we would call on the upper end who were the wealthy landowners. They are the employers. They are the ones in positions of authority. But also in the time of Christ, as today, there is the middle class, the middle group. That's the craftsmen, the farmers and the ranchers, the tool makers. That was Jesus's family. They were tradesmen. Joseph, Jesus's stepfather, was a businessman. And he must have been extraordinarily successful at it. Why? He had numerous children. He was good at business. He could provide for his kids. The agricultural people would have numerous kids because why? I have help. But in the craft side, you don't necessarily need that many. Now, especially if you got Jesus, you got to figure if Jesus was a carpenter, a builder, he was probably pretty good. What do you figure? Have you ever seen them guys can just eyeball it? Well, just about right there. And it's always crooked. Never with Jesus. <laughs> if he eyeballed it and says, right there, you're in, buddy. Jesus would have been a pretty good carpenter. Also, Galilee of the Gentiles, is what it was called, was a trade route. And with the Roman Empire in control of all merchandise and movement of merchandise... Galilee would have flourished. I have been to Galilee. It is extraordinarily lush. They have banana groves. Have you ever heard of blood oranges? They come from Galilee. They had grapevines, huge, massive grapevines. And I always thought Israel was, you know, desert. You go south, it is. But the Galilean basin is amazing. It is green. It is lush. Of course, you've got that big lake in the middle of it. And Jesus lived there. He ministered there. And he worked in the Galilean area. And he would have been in the middle of society, which gave him the ability to speak to both sides. I can speak to those who are in poverty, and I can speak to those who are of wealth. One of the things that I've learned, uh, my background is trades. Jack of all trades, I guess. And I have learned that people with money love me. Because they can't fix nothing. So they call me, come fix this. People who are a little poor say, can you show me how to do this so I don't have to do it myself? So it works out well. Each and every one of you have been given talents and abilities, capabilities that God has given you. What you must do is guard your heart. 
when your heart is right towards Him and you delight in what He has provided, you will help those who are around you. I do electrical work even today and I work on motorcycles and my primary focus is to help people. I just want to help. That's all I do. And you know what? There's been a whole bunch of times where I just didn't get paid. Oh, well. I, this last week, had I just got paid mileage, I'd be a wealthy man. Proverbs speaks of the abundance of wealth. And you know what is amazing about Proverbs? When it speaks of the abundance of wealth, it's not negative. Now, listen, Proverbs has some things about it. He says, if you're not willing to work, be poor. Material gain is part of God's design. But be diligent. There's nothing wrong with gaining materialistic, material, wealth. And I'll deal with some of this over this message. God filled this place with wealth. You have got to think about it. He could have put our butts on the moon. Boy, logging would have been short. Okay, I mean, try to grow a garden in that. But he put us here. He put us here. And if you look at the countries right now that are in great famines and great disasters, ask yourself a question. In that country, where is the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's non-existent. So they're on their own. God filled this place with wealth. And I got to ask you a simple question. Of the amazing life that is on this globe, which ones have the ability to acquire that wealth? Just a question. How many gold mines have been operated by chimpanzees? Have you ever been to an oil well where the dolphins are running it? No. One. The one that was created in the image of God. But it is temporary. There is no lasting value in it. It will go away. Heaven and earth shall pass away. Okay? He does tell us to enjoy it, to delight in it. The psalmist tells me that the desert rose blooms solely for his good pleasure. No one may ever see it, but God's seen it because he made it. And he says, watch this. If there is a cry out from the brethren, we who have. Step up. Step up. But you have to have a right heart. Okay? That's morality and love of money. Acquiring money. Okay, here we go. Ready? One. Gifts. Gifts. Uh, It may come as an inheritance. It may come from somebody who just... I remember a lady I was preaching in Russia had just finished on uh, 19 through 22 of Revelations. She was thrilled out of her... 
socks. And she came up to me after the message. She had a bag of eggs. And she says, I don't have anything. But I want to give you this because God used you mightily. And I thought, I bet I can get that through customs. So I took her back to the church and they made these, I don't want, Russian raviolis. That's, that's, that's what they look like to me. But you can get gifts. Remember, we're told it is better to give than it is to receive. Have you ever thought about this? You and I have a pride issue. Did you know that? Why don't you want to receive something? You want to steal that person's blessing? If they're going to give it to you, they will be blessed because they give it to you and you don't want to take it because of your pride? Have you ever thought about, yes, I'm going to receive that gift. Why? Because they will be blessed by giving it to me. You ever thought about that? Kind of flies against what we know, doesn't it? Philippians 4, Paul said he had received gift from the Philippians for his ministry. Okay, Philippi is in Macedonia. The text in chapter 8 says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God had been given as the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability... They gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. That's my goal over the next few months, to make you beg to give more. I know, got my work cut out for me, don't I? And yet out of that, for given to his ministry, he was extremely grateful. Paul was collecting from the Gentile saints to give to the Jewish saints in Jerusalem who were suffering. When a Jew came to the person of Jesus Christ as Messiah, they were excommunicated from the family and from work. And so when you read that, that Peter preached and 5,000 people got saved, understand you just got 5,000 people that have no job, no home, no food, no clothes. And I hear people saying, I want revival. Really? 5,000 people who all instantly lost their jobs, have no longer have a housing and have no food and have no clothes. And you want them? Had a dear friend of mine. He's in glory now. Lived in Baltimore. Jew. Jewish family. Hardcore Jewish family. Came to Christ. They had a funeral for him. And literally had a plot of land and put a tombstone on it. Norm Magnus. Died this day. Family completely disowned him. A gift in a biblical way is to get money, and it is wondrous. It's amazing to watch. I remember one time, I don't, I don't remember where I was, but I had a $100 bill and a $10 bill in my pocket. And I was listening to this guy preach, and they were going to take up a love offering. So I reached down to my pocket, and I said, I'll just give him that 10 And I reached in, and I dropped it into the plate, and I put it back in my pocket. So I, was, I got out, I was going to go eat, and I reached down there, all I had was a 10 <laughs> And I was like, I have got to watch doing that. I have many, many very precious and dear treasures that have been given to me by saints. If you go into my office, most of the pictures in there are gifts from people who were moved by something 
And they brought the pictures to me. I used to use an illustration on prayer that I've always tried to figure out a way that God would give me a black powder 50 caliber rifle. Uh, and I could not figure out how to pay for that right. And uh, we had a meeting out at the house and the whole church was out there. It was like a family day and all the rest of it. This one family hung around and left. I'd give this illustration multiple times. And it was just an illustration. Guy comes up and he says, come out here to my car. And he opens up the trunk of his car, brand new 50 caliber black powder rifle. He says, I want you to have this so you quit telling me you're praying for it. <laughs> okay, so one way is gifts. Second way, investments. Jesus told the parable in Matthew 25, 27. The one had his talents. He took the money because he was afraid of him and he hid it in the ground. Jesus came back. The Lord came back. He had it. And he says, why didn't you just put it in the bank and gain interest? See, letting your money work and letting your money wisely invest. Listen, I'm not talking about lotto. Okay. I'm talking about things that you know and you can kind of see how how it's going to work. When it comes to investing, here's what I want you to know. Use your best wisdom. But first and foremost, seek godly counsel. Okay? It is a very good way to increase your wealth, investing. Okay? Very good way. But it takes wisdom. takes research. All right? Okay, now, investing has one small flaw in it. Right? It assumes you have some money that you don't need to live on. Back before the uh, last recession, how many hundreds of thousands of Americans had borrowed against their house so that they could fill in the blank? We called them HELOCs. Home equity loan lines of credit. All right. And we wonder why everybody went down the toilet. Well, yeah, you were in buying money thinking that it was just going to keep going. Well, it ain't. It ain't. And and they said, well, we're all upside down on your house. Well, yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm not an economist. But I know you can't just keep borrowing money to get out of debt. You can't, you can't invest in your expenses. You cannot gain money with money you don't, that you have to have to live on. Okay? God wants us to have more than we need. Did you know that? That's biblical. He wants you to have more than you need. You want me to say it one more time? Because I want to make sure you get this clearly. God wants you to have more than you need, not want. Okay? Therein lies an institution right now that is crushing you. And it's only been around for about 114 years. Advertising. Commercials. Why? All they want to do is remove your money from your pocket. 
And they are unrelenting. You can get on the internet now and pop up, pop up, pop up, pop up. I don't care. God wants us to have more. He wants us to rejoice. He wants us to delight. He wants us to thank Him. And He wants us to have money available to use where He needs it done. So you invest. Okay? Thirdly, this is probably the least popular of the ways to acquire money. Work. Work. It's important though. In Exodus 20, verse 9, six days you shall labor, and one day you will set to the Lord. You don't need to work any more than six days, and one day you set aside for the worship of the Lord. Okay. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 says, He who steals, steal no more, let him work. Work. God's gift to us Six and one. Well, I thought I was supposed to have a weekend. I don't get a weekend. Quit your belly aching. Work six. One day set to the Lord. It is a formula that started in Genesis and is profound in Exodus. And it is to go on for this day. Do your labor in six days. Then focus on the Lord. Work is a way for you to use your God-given talents that are a gift from God and it will give you self-respect and it will give you an ability to use your human capabilities that God gave you. It keeps you productive. It keeps you from being idle. It keeps you from wasting time. It keeps you from falling into temptation. It has a benefits upon benefits upon benefits upon benefits and we don't want it. So many in financial trouble today are there because they don't know how to work. I've been around for a long time. I've run numerous businesses of my own, and I've also worked for different entities. And uh, I remember at one time I was working for the town of Castle Rock, and we would hire summer help. And I got to see the next crop of workers coming in. They have no idea what work is. They show up to get a check. Never seen anything like it. And I mean, if you told a kid, can you just clean that table? That kid will be there by that table for the rest of the eight-hour shift. There's something else. You you know, go look in the bathroom. I don't know. So many in financial trouble just don't work. God designed us to work. Man is the primary breadwinner. And wife is the helper. Okay? What's wrong with that in our society today? And I've heard all the excuses. All right. Proverbs 28. Verse 19, he who tills the land has plenty of food, but he who follows pursuits, follows empty pursuits, will have poverty in plenty. You know what those are? Those are the schemers, the get rich quick guys. 
They chase the wind. They chase their dreams. They chase their schemes. And they will have poverty even if everybody else is doing well. Proverbs 14, verse 23. 23. In all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Labor there is profit. Talk leads only to poverty. And, and you know what? Laziness is a sin. I know people who just want to talk. Work diligent as unto the Lord. Work is how we accumulate the wondrous and wealth of this glorious place. And it's through work. Let me give you an idea that is about as abstract today as anything that I have ever seen. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. Okay, you get that? That's an order. What was the order, Paul? If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Hmm. Read on. For we hear that among you are leading an undisciplined life. Some among you are leading an undisciplined life. Doing no work at all. That's what Paul is calling undisciplined. Doing no work at all. But acting like busybodies. Now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Christ, Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. Where you have people who don't work, you will have disordered society. It will all break down and it will become absolutely dysfunctional. When you have people that don't work, you have confusion, you have disorder, and you have crime. Why? Because that's not God's design. It's not God's principle. God's principle is we work. God said and made it this clear. You work, you eat. You don't work. Don't eat. Okay, now, I don't want to get into politics. And this is what I'm about to go into next. It's not politics. It is philosophy. Okay? Maximum amount of resources belong to the people who know how to generate the work so they can hire people to do the work. You got that? The maximum amount of resources belong to the people who know how to generate the work so that they can hire people to do the work. A system that is not based on that now can never and has never worked. I hear all of the things about the Soviet Union collapsing and it was because of Ronald Reagan and what's her, Margaret Thatcher and all the rest of it. I've been there. I know why it collapsed. 
Nobody worked. But you still have to give them money and housing and utilities. Where are you going to get it? Somebody's got to do it. And eventually the workers say, nope. And then the whole country does what? Stops. The Chinese government is trying to manipulate its system. They have to produce one million jobs a month to break even. All right. And they got people who go out and dig ditches. Then they got another group who come in behind it and fill up the ditches that just dug. You're not producing anything. You're not helping anybody. The system can't do it. You can't have a majority who don't work that need to eat with a minority that's going to feed it. God's design is not to harm people. God's design, it helps to be productive and keep you from wasting time and wasting lives. You know, listen, some can't work. They have no physical ability for whatever reason. And you know what? That isn't rocket science. You take care of them. That is, that is not that difficult. The Old Testament is full of it. Hard work. Hard work. Go to uh, Proverbs again, chapter 6. Verses 6 and 8. 6 through 8, sorry. This is a good, this is a good one. I, I love this, this text. Okay. But here's what it says. Go to the ant, old sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provisions for harvest. Hmm. Ant ain't got no boss. But the ant knows what needs to be done. And it plans for the future. And it's on its own. And it cares. It takes care of it. I used to be in construction. I used to have, in the early 80s, had a framing company. And we framed houses and did exterior trim. And um, usually about um, into April, May, it was Katie bar the door. Sunrise to sunset, six days a week. And you just got after it. And you would make wheelbarrows full of money. Because you knew November's coming. Okay? And it all, it didn't just stop. It was throw you over the handlebars stop. And you either put that money away or December looked really, really awful. I used to work for the county and we got paid once a month. First of the month, got this great big massive check. And I destroyed it one time and said, I've got to make a note. Okay, because I tell you what, you, you ever seen them little package of crackers with peanut butters? You live two weeks on them. You said, well, I'm not doing that no more. Okay, but you know, for two weeks, I'm royalty. I look at the intelligence of humans compared to the ants, and I wonder how many are not as smart as ant. Proverbs 24 says, The lazy will not work, and they will become a beggar. 
Paul told Timothy that a lazy believer is worse than an unbeliever. When I was in Russia, I found out that Russia... Well, if I got any union workers in here, I apologize for a second. But the Soviet Union was like union on steroids. Okay? The whole country. I mean, the country paid you. Okay? It was all taxes. Whether you build a car, you build a tank, whether you paved roads or you sweep the roads, you picked up trash, whatever. It was the government that was paying you. Okay? Well, what happens is we would get a raise. And it'd be one percent for the whole population. Well, what happens is you take motivation gone. Why? It doesn't matter how many streets I sweep more than him. We're all going to get one percent. We're all making the same wage. So why should I exert myself? And that was part of the collapse of socialism. You can't do that. You can't do that. It's impossible. And yet, I I watch, it promotes laziness. Why? I'm going to get my paycheck. I'm going to get my 1%. I'll just stand here. You see that around here? I come from union country. I watched what the unions did. They run everything out of business. And now they all want to say it was the government regulation, this government regulation. Listen, I saw how it worked. You... When you do that, you destroy productivity. And if you're a company and you're trying to produce widgets, if nobody cares, you, your widget count goes down. That's crazy. In Colossians chapter 3, 22 to 24, he says, Do you understand who you work for? You work for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you should not be working for your employer giving him eye service. You know, when the boss is standing there, I'm busting money. I'm good. I'm after it. And when the boss is gone, well, I tell you what, I don't know why he's the boss. Been around it. Every employee thinks that their employer has no business being in business. But I look at it this way saying, you'd be grateful because you don't have a job if he ain't. Listen, if I'm doing everything as unto the Lord, it should keep us motivated. When the Soviet Union, after 70 years of that, collapsed, you had all of these enterprises that the government took care of, and all of a sudden, the government ain't there no more. So it was open to private enterprise. Private enterprise started moving in. And you know what I found out? They were knocking the doors down of the churches to hire the believers because they knew that the believers were, had a good work ethic. Why? They do everything as unto the Lord. And they don't give eye service. And so, if you go to Russia even today, you, you are hard pressed to find an unemployed believer. Now, there's a lot of unemployment. They run about 35, 40%. But those that are working, most of them are Christians. All right. So our work, whatever your job is, is evaluated by God. I don't care if you're a pastor. I don't care if you're cleaning barns, digging ditches. It don't matter. You do it as unto the Lord. Fourth way. Saving. Saving. 
This is kind of an abstract thing for this country, but it's still biblical. Chapter 21, verse 20 of Proverbs. 21, 20 of Proverbs. There is a precious treasure in oil and the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. A fool consumes all he gets. A wise sets aside some. Okay? Now, I hate to tell you this, that proverb right there is anti-American. Let's be realistic. It's anti-American. America consumes what it gets, as quick as it gets it. Okay? You go to Russia, go to the grocery store in Russia in January, February, the produce is empty. There's nothing on this shelf. Nothing. Nothing. Not an air corn or anything. But if you watch the Russians, we had to quit teaching classes in the summer because all summer long, every Russian has a garden somewhere. And they had everything. I mean, green beans, tomatoes, you name it. It's And, uh, and these guys have evidently been doing it pretty good because they got some serious gardens considering they have a growing season of about 90 days. And everybody cans and everybody's got a root cellar. I mean, you can have these apartment complexes in the center of the courtyard is root cellars and everybody hauls their stuff down there and sticks it in the root cellar because they know in January there ain't no produce. There is no produce. But the fool consumes all he gets. Proverbs chapter 30, 25, 30, verse 25. Are you storing for the future? When when I think about it, we save for the future. Why? I don't know what's going to happen. What what happens if you get hit by a tornado? Okay. What if there's another recession? If we ever really came out of one. What happens if inflation rolls you over? What do you do? Are you ready? I remember that when I was growing up, you never bought a house that was more than your yearly income. All right. And, and we always save. You ever save? First thing ever account I ever had was a savings account, a little passbook account. You save money in it. All right, I'm saving. Okay? And it wasn't like I was making big bucks. But you saved it. We don't do that anymore. God wants us to do that. Are you ready for a disaster? Then here's the other side of this because we're in church. Are you ready for when God opens the door to be able to help it financially? Regardless of what the call is? See, if you've saved, you can God wants us to do this. Yet it can be abused. I agree. We, we can just about abuse anything. I think we can abuse a tire iron if we had to. But, but we, we can abuse it if I'm self-absorbed and self-centered. 
Future planning is not only reasonable savings, but it is biblical. Okay, which takes me to the fifth part is planning. Um, If you have enough, God wants you to have more so you can enjoy more. But you do that by means of planning. You know what they call this in the economic world? Are you ready? It's an abstract thing. It's a budget. That's all it is. You know what a budget is? Setting your priorities. Setting your priorities. That is where the framework of our money fits. Okay, let me tell you something that is out there today that is one of the greatest marketing ideas that has ever hit. And I can't think of any single marketing idea that was greater than this one. Okay? And every one of us in this room are guilty of falling to it. That's how successful it is. Okay? You know what it is? Impulse buying. And they set up advertising for that. If I can get you in and you see the one little shiny ball, but look at these other nine shiny balls. Well, I might as well get them too. Impulse buying. And you know what? That operates outside of your margin. Whatever your budget is, impulse buying will destroy your budget just like that. And it does it really fast. It's kind of cool. Let me ask you a question. How many of us can say in my budget, I spend less than I make? Okay, because if you do, then you can invest, you can save and you can plan. But most of us have what we bring in and what we spend is just a frog hair difference. And so all of a sudden I jump over to an impulse buying and oops. But we can make it up in payments. If you don't, if, if you don't spend less than you make, you are presuming on God's grace and you are presuming on God's patience. And how long do you think he will overlook your irresponsibility? It's a hard attitude, people. You continue to seek Him, look at your needs, be careful about it, and plan. And I guess, you know, I heard it described one time, it's just basically financial self-control. And let me be honest with you. It's absent in our culture. Absolutely absent. I shop for things. God doesn't say, don't get nothing. If you can't eat it, wear it, or sleep in it, don't buy it. That is not what God says. God says, I have made all of this and I want you to enjoy it all. But here's the thing I do. When I look at something and I think that I want that, I shop. I might do research on the internet. I may see one over here at Walmart. I may see one at Target or whatever it is I'm looking at. All right. And then all of a sudden I come up and, okay, this is my dollar figure. This is what I'm going to do. Then I take three weeks before I do anything. I do not allow the impulse to, oh, that's the best price I've seen. You know, I could end up with a coupon. 
That's crazy stuff, man. Why do, why do you... I got to have it now. You don't need it now. Why? How did you make it up to this point? Think about cell phones. I'm trying to figure out how I live my life, most of my life, without a cell phone. How in the world did I... But then the other day, I was looking for a pay phone. <laughs> now I need a cell phone. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If you take right now, and if you started at the birth of Christ and spent $1 million a day, okay, that's pretty good. $1 million a day since the birth of Christ, and you did it all the way up till today, you cannot spend $1 trillion. We just spent $5 trillion in four years. What do you think? Is that impulsive? No, but it is a hard attitude. David said, keep your servant back from presumptive sins. People uh, into a place where they feel like they have to consume it. And then when they do, they cry to the Lord for help. And they never, ever, ever get to see the providence of God. Let me tell you what the new American dream is. I remember the American dream. I moved to Colorado. I worked two full-time jobs because I wanted to buy a house and ended up every dime that I saved, I had to pay in taxes. And I was like, well, I'm making a note. Here's the new American dream. Buy things you don't need with money that you don't have from people that you don't even like so that you may have more obligations than you have income. Tell me I'm wrong. When it is time to support the bride of Christ and her work, you can't. But you have all kinds of stuff. And all kinds of debt to prove you still have the stuff. And you know what it is? It's financial bondage. God wants us to have enough and He wants to bless us abundantly. He wants to bless us now and He wants to bless us later. Proverbs 27. 23 and 24, listen, know well the condition of your flocks to pay attention to your herds for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure for all generations. Take careful stock of your condition and plan wisely. Listen, if you're, let, let, me, let me tell you something. If, if you're right now, you're taking and you are spending more than you're bringing in. Okay, you're in a bad spot, but take stock of it. All right, take stock of it right now and say, okay, what can I do to get my expenses down? Start small and knock them out of the way until you can get it so that I don't spend more than I bring in. And then you'll be safe. Then once you're in that position, don't walk back. Think about how easy it is to get in debt and how long you carry the burden afterwards. Take careful stock of your condition. Know where you stand and know what your condition is. And the first thing you got to do is evaluate your heart. Is what God given you enough? Are you content? Or do you think you need more? And you know what? I agree that to do this right now is harder than any time in the creation of man. You are blasted with information. 
Listen, let me explain to you something about commerce. Money is paid out for programs. Money comes in through advertising. And advertising commercials, they want you to spend your money. Now tell me one avenue of your life right now that is not affected by advertising. Commercials. And you know what? It starts. Think about it. Super Bowl. What is it? We got more people watch the Super Bowl than football. Why? Halftime. I want to see the ads. In 1993, there was $338 billion in credit card charges. In 1994, it was 500 and 500, 250 billion dollars. It had almost doubled in one year. And you know what? The average interest rate on a credit card at that time was 18%. And you know what? Merchants know this. It is good business. Do you know that surveys and tests show, history shows, that if you buy on credit, you spend 80% more than you would have if you bought on cash? It's easier to pay with the credit card. And of course, it's easier interest. Here's one. Sears and Roebuck. They're not the biggest and the best and the brightest right now, okay? They're not the top retailer. They make more money per year on revolving charge than all of their products. Some will reward your debt. You can get credit cards that will give you points. And the longer you keep the debt, the more points you get. And you know what? People buy that. How about this? We will give you a little check in the mail. And it's worth $10,000 because your credit is so good. And we'll give you credit free for a year. Read the fine print. Read the fine print. 70% of credit card holders carry a balance. There are 200 million credit card transactions every day. $111 million in interest in credit cards per day. Experts have already concluded that if I can get you an $800 balance on your credit card, I have you for life. You'll never get rid of it. Proverbs 22.7 The violence of the wicked will drag them away because they refuse to act on injustice. The way of the guilty man is crooked. The rich rules over the poor and the borrowers become the lender's slave. You know what happens? 
You borrow money, guess what happens? The lender becomes your master. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says you've been bought and paid for with a price. Do not become a slave to men. God wants us to plan. He wants us to do it well. And He wants us to make sure we have enough that that doesn't happen. Sixth thing, careful about loaning money. Loan is an investment and it is contractual. Can the person pay and what is the collateral? Oh, that sounds harsh. Really? Do you want someone else to be in control of your financial resources? But what about our children? What about them? Chapter 17 of Proverbs, verse 8. 18. A man lacking in sense pledges and becomes guarantor in the presence of his neighbors. Listen, you want to help your kids out? Give it to them. Don't loan it to them. Because now they'll be in charge of your resources. And Proverbs says that's poor judgment. Poor judgment. All right, I'm going to conclude. Because the question that always shows up, it's the one that I have heard and I've lived with most of my life, is, man, I just never have enough. All right, I can fix that for you right now. Okay, as soon as you think you don't have enough, I have two questions you need to ask yourself. Two questions. And it'll save you. All right. Question number one. Do you really need more? Okay. Or is it a want? There are needs. Is it a need or a want? It's like buying a new car. That's the worst investment you can ever make. Well, as soon as you drive it off the parking lot, it's used. And guess what? You can't get the money back. So buy a used car. Okay? Second one. This is a little more complicated. Do you really need it anymore? Okay, the second one is, is the fact that you are limited a test so God can show you something helping you to get your priorities right? You ever thought that maybe you don't have enough resources because you haven't been listening to what he's saying? Because I have lived where he can stretch a dollar or he can shrink a dollar. And he does it in ways I cannot understand it. I had two families, adult families, living in my house, and we were running about uh, between five and $600 a week in um, groceries. The family wasn't paying no rent. Uh, and they really weren't helping with the groceries nor the gas bills. And I had just taken a third cut in pay as the pastor. To this day, I have no idea how I made that because it completely divides all logic. But I did know that he drove me to a place that you will either depend on me or this is going to get really ugly. And you, you know, and I can sit and tell you from truth of my heart, I didn't like it. But he brought it through. 
And I don't know. I have at times tentatively tried to put it down on a piece of paper and it just scared the bejesus out of me. I don't, oh, I don't know. I, I had, I, you know, I do agree. Some, one guy came up and gave me half a beef. <laughs> I'm in. All right. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, but you know, it, it, there were just, I do not to this day understand how it worked. But it did. And you just sit there and you scratch your head. Is God trying to show you something to give you a right focus? Remember, the love of money brings all kinds of disasters. Have I misused what he's given me? Because if you can have a habitual pattern of misusing what he give you, eventually, all of a sudden, you ain't got nothing. You have the sin of presumption and the sin of presumption he will deal with. Because if you don't plan and you can't give, I have run into so many people when a crisis in the body of Christ has stepped up and they look at me with their heads down saying, I can't help. Okay? So acquiring money. Do it through gifts, investments, work, saving, and planning. All right? Try to get your income to the position where you are spending less than you are making. And then you will have time for planning and investments and savings. And then you will be where God wants you. And all of a sudden you will see an increase that you can't understand. You just, it don't make sense. But God honors it. God will bless abundantly. Once you submit in that wonderful word we all love, obedience. Okay, let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you. Uh, Lord, you have provided riches beyond our understanding. Father, you have provided our every need. Father, you have walked us through the valleys and you've walked us among the mountaintops. You have never forsaken us. And lo, you are with us even to the end of the age. Father, let us understand that as Christians... Children of the Most High God. Father, we are yours. We are your possession. You have already told us we walk in your righteousness in the midst of a famine. We will never thirst or hunger. Father, please let us rest full weight on that. Father, help each of us not to stand on presumption. Father, let us understand you are the author and the finisher, the creator. Father, may we rejoice at the amazing things you've already done. And yet, Father, we are still here expecting immeasurably more than we can think or imagine. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you do. Father, keep us humble. Keep our hearts upon you. Keep our focus upon you. To your glory and praise. Amen.